Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of We Love Books, the show where we absolutely love kids' books and we know you do too. On today's show, Andrew Petty is here with 300 lists that will blow your mind. They're an awful lot of fun and you'll learn lots and lots of interesting and potentially dangerous facts, like how there's an immortal jellyfish, which is interesting, and how to clone an actual T-Rex. Interesting and potentially dangerous, my personal favourite combination. Before we hear from Andrew, let's hear from you guys. I wanted to know, what do you think makes a really good book? What makes a good book, I think, is, well, obviously it depends on what books you like. But if I was doing one, I wouldn't have really short fight scenes, but I wouldn't have like three page long fight scenes. And I also, I'd cut out a lot of like the talk on the talking the main part. But when they're trying to get from A to B, I don't want a really long winded journey to get there. I don't want it to be slow. I want it to be like fast paced. Well, not extremely fast, but fast enough so that you don't get bored of the book that you're reading and move on to another one that you find more interesting. I think uh, funny scenes, fighting scenes, and chases. Great imagination is one of the things. It is really necessary in imaginary stories like fantasy. Also, like Ian said, chases. And I also like, um, you know how sometimes characters go missing? I like when other characters in the story start searching for the missing one. I think that the villain should have a really complex background. And then at the start, it should show the main character in the story if they turn into someone really big, show them as just an ordinary kid or something, and then show what turns them into who they're going to be. And also, for every book, you need a gigantic twist. If you use imagination, if you use like something really cool like like really cool stuff like if it's like the same thing as me it's similar a bit to me like in the prison controller like they like football like me i would think the recipe would be imagination positive and comedy i think what makes a good book is a catchy storyline that makes you want to read more instead of wanting you to just get the book over and done with i don't really mind who wrote the book as long as the book is a good one books it's time for we love reviews first up 12 year old jules tells us about the accidental prime minister who returns for a hilarious sequel written by tom mclaughlin the book is called the accidental prime minister and it is written by tom mclaughlin the book is about a boy called joe perkins who already is prime minister in the first book and there's been a general election and he's trying to rewin it there is two new characters. Well, there's a bunch of new characters. But there's Joe, there's AJ, <coughs> who's his friend. There's the butler called Jenkins. There's a new girl called Alice, who is the same age as Joe and AJ, and they're all about 12. And there is Violetta, 
was his competing candidate in the first book. And now she seems to have joined his side. And then there's Mr. Rottweiler, who keeps trying to win. And he's very good at winning. And winning is his middle name. I did enjoy reading the book. I enjoyed reading the book because not only is there multiple plot twists, there are two separate endings. And you can choose which one you liked. I can't give it away. I think I liked the second one. Well, I'd call it uh, fiction. There wouldn't be fantasy. It'd be fiction with a mix of fantasy. I think people that like light reading and something that's quite out there is a bit of fun. One thing I also like is how each title is the name of a song. Like the first one's called We Are The Champions. Another chapter is called Ice Ice Baby. There's a few others. The boys are back in town. Now it's over to 10-year-old Abby and she has read Crossfire by Mallory Blackman. Let's see what Abby thought. Hi, I'm Abby and this is my book review on Crossfire by Mallory Blackman. Crossfire is the last book of the Nuts and Crosses series and is two generations after Sephi and Callum, the characters who started it all. When Lizzie first entered secondary school, she met a boy called Toby and the two instantly clicked. But when Lizzie invited Toby for dinner at her house, her mother took one look at the boy and told Lizzie never to invite him to their house again. From then on, the two friends became sour enemies. But when their lives on the line, they will both have to learn how to put the past in the past. My favourite thing about this book is that it shows the personal happenings of all the characters, not only Lizzie and Toby, and it shows their view on the story as well. Switching from Lizzie to Toby, to Callie Rose, and even to Sefi. My favourite character in the book is Callie Rose, as she rose high through the rankings during her lifetime, and soon became a fabulous lawyer, who won't stop until she gets what's right for not just her, but the world as well. This book is really amazing, and I would say it's for 13+. plus. Now on We Love Books, it's time for our interview with a featured author who today is journalist and writer extraordinaire Andrew Petty who has put together a truly fascinating book of really rather addictive lists that'll have your brain tingling in no time. Let's have Andrew tell you about himself and his brand new kids book, Listified. Well, my name is Andrew Petty and I am a journalist and a writer. So my background, actually, I worked in newspapers and magazines for years and years and years. And part of that led me to write this book, really, because... The book is kind of, I saw myself as a kind of investigative journalist for children who was going to go out into the universe and ask the questions that children like my eight-year-old daughter May would ask and then go and find the answer. So Listified, which we'll talk about in a sec, is a book full of amazing facts and as the title would suggest, lists in areas that kind of kids always find fascinating. So we've got space and dinosaurs and animals, the natural world, amazing things done by humans, including children. For me, it was great fun. It was like the ultimate journalist commission where I just got to fill 400 pages with everything that I found as most interesting about the world. 
And you've had a very serious and impressive career doing all kinds of things for all kinds of important people. But now you're writing for the really important people, for kids. How is that different for you? Well, I think actually it's been really, I think it really helps, as I say, having a daughter of the right age, because what's brilliant, I think, about children, young minds, is that they're discovering and seeing the world for the first time anew. So they ask brilliant and original questions and they are really creative and they don't take any nonsense. So actually when you're writing for a grown-up audience, sometimes you don't need to be, I don't know, you can cut corners and not explain things as clearly or as well, whereas children are brilliant at picking you up. I, you know, in my, so well, why does that work? And I don't understand that, you've got to explain. And why should that be the case? And so actually it was a really good discipline for me as a writer. I really enjoyed it kind of thinking, right, I really need to understand this subject brilliantly. And also I want to look at it with a child's mind. You know, what's the most interesting? What's the most amazing fact we could find? And I think also as well, I used to write, as you said, for national newspapers here and I worked for the BBC. And so some of that was, it was great fun. It was a brilliant job, but it's quite serious, like you say, writing for a national newspaper. So you have to be, you know, there's not, not much time for jokes where there are lots of jokes in this book. In fact, that's something, one of the features of the book is, as I was writing it, there were so many amazing kind of facts and stories and jokes that I wanted to fit into the lists. Now there are 300 lists, so there are a lot of lists, but even then I didn't have enough room to kind of cram it all in. So we've got these footnotes, these smaller little sections at the bottom of the, all the pages with like extra jokes and stories and facts crammed in so I like for me one of the best things was to be able to be funny and to put jokes in which you go don't always get to do in grown-up newspapers and I think they're poorer for it but <laughs> quite right one of my favorite things is you name the top 10 most intelligent dogs I fully disagree with this because I'm obsessed with my miniature Yorkshire Terrier and I think she should be number one in every list she's a genius but <laughs> you also name and shame the three stupidest dogs <laughs> Well, they, they were the, the stupidest dogs of the of the dogs that had been given the test. I don't think. Very funny. <laughs> I love that. I'm probably. I, I realise that list is probably going to offend dog owners everywhere, <laughs> like you. I thought it was great. <laughs> it was brilliant. There's so many fantastic lists, and you even had Michael Morpurgo call it a treasure trove of fun and fantastic facts. And I cannot tell you how many kids come in and they're like, oh, my favorite author is Michael Morpurgo. What's it like to get that kind of praise from that kind of person? Oh, well, it was really nice because he, like you say, you know, all children and grown-ups love his stories and books. So I wanted to send the book to someone who really understood what readers of that age, you know, what they really like. So for, to give him the book and he, like you, he dived into it. And he actually asked for more time. He said, oh, I'm enjoying it so much. Can you give me a few more days? I want to read more. So he, he finished the book and then he sent me that lovely quote saying, a treasure trove of facts, as you say. So yeah, it was really cheering. And it's got me really excited about what young readers will feel when they get to pick up the book. And they will absolutely kill it at every table quiz they ever go to ever after having read it. <laughs> well, they, in fact, I was, I was thrown out of a, a quiz in, in, after I'd been researching the book. I did so well on the geography round. I answered so quickly that they thought I must have been cheating. So I was expelled from the quiz and I wasn't. I just learned all these facts. So, yeah, if you if you read the book from cover to cover, you will know more facts about the world than everyone in your class or your family 
yeah, there's, there's loads of great information in there. It's a little bit mind-blowing to think of the range of facts that you've discussed. How did you research this? How long did it take? What was that like? Okay, well, yeah, it was. That's a good question because, you know, when you're, it's a 415-page book, and I think I probably wrote about 120,000 words to fill it. And I think the good thing was is that you can, because it's lists and because it has eight chapters, so you have space, and animals and the natural world and dinosaurs, and machines and inventions, two or three more. It meant that you could do each topic in turn. So that gave you a bit of a structure. But then, as I said, well, my next tactic was to start in terms of questions. People say in journalism, you say, oh, what's the story? You know, so rather than, it's not like a reference book in that I'm not trying to, we haven't got lists on everything. We've just gone for the most interesting things. So an example, I think, like in the space chapter was fun, is that I was talking to my daughter about how you can jump really high on the moon. I'm sure you might have seen footage of astronauts bounding along. And she asked a really good question. She said, well, how, you know, how high can you, can you jump on other planets? You know, is that higher? Is that high? You know, good question. So I thought I'm going to find out. So one of the lists is exactly that. How high a human being can jump on nine different planets and moons in the solar system. So the moon is about three meters. So that's probably about as high as the ceiling in your house. But there's a moon of Saturn called Enceladus, where if you jumped in the air off the ground, you would go 40 meters in the air. So that's like jumping over four or five houses stacked on top of each other. In fact, if you jumped, you'd be floating in the air for more than a minute. So that's the best place to go jumping if you get the chance. How did you find out how to clone a T-Rex, because I now know what I'm going to be doing if there's another lockdown. <laughs> now I have a step-by-step -step list how to do it. The cloning there, that was also one of my favourite lists, how to clone a T-Rex. Because again, it's like a question, you watch dinosaur movies like Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, or you know, there's, lots of, there's lots of movies with dinosaurs and TV programmes where they clone a dinosaur and it comes back in the present, which is a great idea for a story. So again, I was thinking, like, can you actually do that? And like, what would you need to do? And actually, it's it, that was a good example where although there's a lot of very interesting science done by very serious grown up scientists and paleontologists kind of answering bits of that question. So I had to read some research papers on dinosaur DNA and how DNA survives over long periods of time, because it's very unlikely we would find some DNA that was still intact that you could make a dinosaur. So yeah, that was a list actually where the, the source material, at the back of the book, there's four or five pages which lists some of the books and articles, there was hundreds that I read to research the list. But that was a good one example where actually scientists have kind of got quite close to answering that question. So my job was to read all that research and simplify it and make it clear so that you at home and all the young readers now are fully equipped to clone your own dinosaur. I'm sure parents everywhere are delighted. <laughs> So those are fascinating facts that I'm wondering, can you give us a sneak peek into some other fascinating facts that you particularly loved when you were researching this book? Yeah, there was, and there's quite, yeah, there's quite a range. I always liked where there was a kind of really extraordinary answer to a list that I wasn't quite expecting. So one of the lists in the animal chapter is which species of animal lives the longest. So, you know, humans probably live on average between 70 or 80 years. And I knew about giant tortoises that can live to around 150 and 180. 
And then I also, sharks can live a very long time. There's a type of shark called a Greenland shark, which can live for about 390 years. But actually it was the top entry on that list. So the, the species of animal that can live for the longest is called the immortal jellyfish. And it can literally live forever. And I had no idea this existed. So what the, the, it's one of the, I think the only creature that scientists have found, which starts off as a baby jellyfish called a polyp, and then it grows to be a fully grown up jellyfish. And then it goes back to being a baby jellyfish again. And although some of them, you know, could they could be eaten by predators or, you know, they don't all survive. In terms of its own biology, it can keep regenerating to baby to grown up and literally live forever, which is why it's the immortal jellyfish. I'll just tell you one other story. There's different types of lists. I mean, not only different kinds of topics, but also I wanted some lists that are, are kind of factual. So which are the fastest dinosaurs? Which are the tallest buildings in the world? Which are the smelliest things in the universe? Actually, that's a good list. So I found out what is scientifically the smelliest cheese in the world. And scientists discovered this. They created a machine to prove it, which they called the electronic nose. And it, and it proved that a cheese called Vierbeloine is scientifically proven as the smelliest in the world. But the other kind of list I wanted to get in, which were like really quirky, fun lists. And a good example of that, I really loved a list, a list of strange things that have fallen out of the sky. So a bit like rain. So there, it started off with things that I'd read about in newspapers, like fish and golf balls and frogs. But the, the weirdest thing that I found that has literally, this is all true, all of this is true, had the fallen out of the sky was frozen iguanas. What? So, so this is, yeah, fr this frozen iguanas. So if you just don't know, iguanas are these big, sort of slightly crazy uh, lizards that live in tropical places. But this is in Miami in Florida. And what happens is the iguanas, which are living wild, they often go to sleep up in trees, quite in tall trees. And sometimes in Florida, even though it's generally quite warm, they have these cold snaps where it gets super cold. And so because they're cold blooded, they kind of freeze and they, it's like they go to sleep. It's all right. They're not dead. They're just sort of they can't move. But because they can't move and they're up a tree, they fall out of the tree. And so everywhere in Florida, you have frozen iguanas <laughs> landing on the ground like iguana rain. But eventually the sun comes out and it warms up and then the iguanas wake up and off they trot and they're fine. But this is such a common thing in Miami now that they include iguanas on the weather warnings. So the weather, the weather forecaster will say, oh, we've got a cold snap coming in. So watch out for iguanas. Wow. I'm glad you explained that because I never would have <laughs> understood why they said that. How I not know? I think frozen iguanas falling from the sky is now my new favourite. I think that's <laughs> good. good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we got, glad I got to tell you about that. But those are absolutely <laughs> fascinating facts, and I want to know how much of my DNA I share with bananas. I want to know what the top ten dinosaurs, like the ten largest dinosaurs, weighed in cats, because I never thought about that. But now that's all I can think about. So this book is for anyone who wants to um, be fascinated by the world and impress others with their their knowledge, which I think is absolutely incredible. And I'd also love to ask you because you are a very varied writer, journalist, you do copywriting, you've now written books, you've got speech writing under your belt. What are your top writing tips for kids who want to grow up to write? Oh, well, that is a good question. Okay, here are my top tips. Yeah, that is good. I think the first tip actually is reading, is that a lot of people want to get started with writing and the best way to learn is to read other people. So just read and read and read as much as you can. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are exactly those kind of kids who just like I was when I was a boy, just 
devour anything. And I think it doesn't matter what you read, you know, just find whatever's interesting to you. And if a book isn't your, to your taste, you don't, it doesn't quite appeal. That's not your fault. That's the book's fault. You know, find another one. There's millions out there. You'll find something that's right for you. I then think that's my second tip is actually the key to great writing is editing. So that's working on and improving what you've already written. So I think a lot of writers suffer, and I used to when I was younger, from, it's not quite writer's block, but it's it's worrying that, you know, you write your first sentence of your story and it's not perfect. And then you think, I can make this better. And then you spend an hour looking, fiddling with the sentence and it's a bit better, but you're just, you know, you're kind of getting stuck because you're worrying about writing the perfect story right at the, immediately. So I think the key is just to get writing, don't worry about it, and then come back to it and improve it and improve it. And for example, when I was writing this book, when I was writing Listified, I worked with a series of editors at Encyclopedia Britannica who were brilliant in helping me improve what I'd written. So I'd send them a chapter and they'd make comments and advise me on how to improve it. And it would go back and forth and back and forth. I'd work and work and work at it. So the final book that you see is very different from the initial manuscript that I wrote. That's the key to brilliant writing. If you can improve what you write by working on it, then there's no limit to how good you can be. Well, I think we've all learned a lot here today, and you're about to learn more as Andrew Petty takes on the infamous We Love Books favourites round. Okay, are you ready? Yes. What is your favourite colour? Blue. Favourite food? Curry, Indian food. Favourite sweet treat? Oh, chocolate. It's got to be chocolate. Favourite hot drink? Tea. Favourite place to be alone? Ooh, good question. I would say on a hill, there's a Richmond Hill, which is near me and it has an amazing view over the River Thames and it's got a great landscape, so yeah. Your favorite place to read a book? Ooh, uh, well, next to a, um, next to the river. Your favorite animal, and you can say frozen iguanas. Ah, uh, actually, it's, it's, called, um, it's called a dugong or a manatee. You can get everyone, if you don't know, if kids are listening and they don't know what it is, go and look it up. Google Google dugong and, and on YouTube and they're these like underwater elephants and they're amazing. They're like these big, you see them at the zoos as well. They're incredible. What is your favourite dinosaur? So my favourite dinosaur, having researched the book, is called the Nigerosaurus. And the reason I love it is because its head, if, you, if kids Google it, its head looks like the attachment you put on the end of a hoover. Exactly. Right. When you know when you want to do the stairs, you've got this little thing. That's exactly what its mouth looked like. So if you Google it, it's like we, we got a picture of it in the book. But the real dinosaur looked even more like a Hoover than, wow. than we have in the book. So that's my new favourite. What is your favourite kids' book? Um, oh, another good question. Well, I'm a big fan of Michael Morpurgo, and so you know, War Horse is, and I've because I love the book, and then the play is equally. Is amazing. So I think that is a great story. Great story, magical play. Your favorite item of clothing? Uh, well, I'm usually really badly dressed. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to just say shorts because I like when the weather's hot and you don't have to look smart and you can just wear shorts. And finally, your favorite gift you ever got from Santa? Okay, this will be embarrassing to most people to admit, but I think your listeners, so but the thing I was well, most pleased about when I was about 12, uh, my parent, well, I don't think it was Santa, but there's someone bought me a thesaurus, which Ooh. is like a, I don't know if you, all the listeners will know, but it's like a dictionary of words that tells you 
what words mean other words. And it's kind of most kids would, well, unless you really love books and words, would think that was a very boring present. But I was super excited and I've still got it. I still, I still wow, use it. Right beside you. The Roger's <laughs> thesaurus. I don't know where I put it, but I still use that thesaurus 30 years later. So that's a great wow. present. Love books, I wanted to find out what kind of book would you guys like to write if you sat down to write one tomorrow. Nine-year-old Jack spins us a complex comic book-inspired caper about mad scientists and multiverses. It was based off a story I came up with in second class. I kind of took this from Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse a bit. I took it like that vibe idea but put it into like a dog. But there's like different kind of characters. So there's Detective Dog and the Animal Verse. Detective Dog's been shunted. There's a Dimension Shunter called Killer Penguin. He shunted him into another, uh, many realities, but he has to like ensure that he gets back. He gets shunted at like 10 or eight times. If it's not an even number, then he could be possibly stuck in that dimension for the rest of his life. If it was like nine, there'd be no way to get back, probably. Killer Penguin tried to like get some hairs off the dogs, cause they don't shed. So he has to try to get hairs off of them to make something like an ultimate, like he's also a scientist like Dr. Hammerhead. He's trying to collect hairs from all the dogs he can find in the Animalverse. And he's kind of a mad scientist. So he's gonna make like an, uh, a serum and he's going to inject it into himself because some of them do have powers. One of them has super speed. If he got that from the speed dog, it'd be like the flash. Seconds would be like minutes, minutes would be like hours, and hours would be like days. Detective dog is like, he's a very serious kind of character. He always wants to get the job done quickly, kind of like Batman. Killer Penguin, he's kind of like the Joker of Batman. He's a scientist though, that's the only difference. Definitely an adventure book because he's traveling to other dimensions. It's kind of obvious. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's show. A huge thanks to all the kids who took part and to all the adults who helped make it possible. Thanks to you for listening. Next week, we meet the amazing women of the Middle East as introduced to us by writer Wafa Tarnowska. So be sure to join us for a magical and inspiring adventure through the lives of some incredible women. I'm Neve Bennett, this is We Love Books, and until next time, happy reading!